0: All right, looks like we're memoing it now. All right, cool. Um, so a lot of what I'm going to say, as I said last week, to give full credit to the authors is going to be basically what they're saying or a little bit of a criticism to what they're saying because he just lays it out really, really well and the chapter's really short. So um, he starts with this idea that the major feature of any story, what would you say is typically the major feature of any story that you read? by Matt. Conflict, Bingo. Climax is pretty important, too. But sometimes the climax is the conflict, so uh, that, that'll, that'll go. Um, Eugene Peterson says a catastrophe is, has occurred in Genesis. So everything's kind of going along pretty well. Then you get to chapter 3, and then boom, a catastrophe happens. And what happens? Sin enters the world. And what kind of world was it prior to sin? It was God's perfect world. And here's this cosmic conflict that we see in Genesis. And we'll kind of tease out this cosmic conflict because what I wanna do today, one of my main goals is for for us as we think through this to raise our minds a little bit more outside of just the simple fact that Adam and Eve made a bad choice and and raise our minds to the level of how that really matters eternally and cosmically. In fact, um, I just had an interaction with one of my children this morning that will remain unnamed. They were raising money for a good cause in their class, they're asked to try to raise $20 um, for, uh, for their Sunday school teacher, their, their child's class teacher. And my mom is in town right now and she set $30 on the counter because we bought some food for her yesterday. And as I was getting my coffee and my mom was kind of up moving around, you know, uh, $10 bill is no longer there. And one of my children who remains unnamed takes the $10 bill up and put it into their bank and was going to bring it to church this morning. Now, I recognize the, the means to an end here, right? At least my child was trying to do what their teacher had asked them to do. However, my child did not see at any point until we got into a 20 minute conversation that they were in the wrong. It's in our house, we find money around the house, not a big deal, but in their heart of hearts, they knew what they had done was wrong. Like she knew it, she knew exactly what she had done and as, I, as you parent, you begin to hear your child do exactly what you and I do in our hearts, because our hearts are deceitful, says the Scriptures. We begin to justify. Well, it was in our house. Well, Miss Emily told me. Well, Miss Emily said changes around the house. Well, on and on and on and on and on. And what really is going on at the root of it all is my child wanted to do what they wanted to do. My child wanted to be autonomous. My child wanted to step outside of the confines of what God has entrusted to the world as his order. Wanted to step outside of that order and become autonomous. And that's what we're going to get into. So when we look at Genesis, we are no longer in continuity with our good beginning. We're no longer in continuity with our good beginning. We're also separated from our good end. And I want you to catch that. No longer in continuity with the beginning. No longer, are we, and now we're separated from the good end. And in other words, right now, we're in the middle of this big old mess. The beginning and the end is all screwed up, right? And so humanity refuses to live under the Creator's Word and chooses to seek life apart from Him. And what does this result in? total disaster, the whole creation is brought into the train of human rebellion. It is literally human rebellion that begins this entire process. And you know, I, even when I was young, I used to think, well, was that an E that ate like, it? Well, yeah, we understand that, that you know, through one man entered sin, through one man sin was you know redeemed. But at the end of the day, sin, sin is innate. We are to pray people. We innately choose to step outside of God's sovereign rule, and it always results in Disaster, sometimes on a myriad of different levels, and sometimes ways that we try to hide, but you can't hide anything from God. In fact, we had the same conversation with the same child on Saturday when they hit their sibling because their sibling didn't do what they wanted them to do, and it was this idea of, "Hey, I wanted them to do X, they didn't do X, I got frustrated and hit them." And so, what I had to take my child through was the process of unrighteous anger. The Scripture calls unrighteous anger. When we get unrighteously angry. We respond without self-control, which is the fruit of the spirit. What did, what happened between Cain and Abel? In fact, Amy said that. And it's easy to be like, "Oh, I'm not going to do that." But at the end of the day, it's the same thing. That's what the spirit. Of, I mean, that's what the spirit of God is teaching us on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, right? Anger is the same as murder. Lust after another man's wife is the same as adultery. On and on and on and on and on. It's the same root sin. So, what we're trying to do, as I said. I want us to get our minds out of just the fact that Adam and Eve ate a piece of fruit that God said not to, and I want us to step into really peeling back to what that actually means. Uh, Genesis 1 through 7 in chapter 3. Bryce, would you read that for us?
1: Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, "'You shall not eat of any tree in the garden.'" The woman said to the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden." But God said, "You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that
0: is in the midst of the garden; neither shall you touch it, lest you die." So we're going to talk about this. Did God really say in just a second? But a couple things I want to point out. You see the Garden of Eden here. I've given you some notes. I'm not sure what's on mine and what's not on yours. Um, but the root meaning of Eden is to evoke pleasure or delights fertile and rich in minerals and we, we don't want to forget we talked a little bit about this last week but God himself dwells there with his creation it's pretty incredible as we even commented um you know the God that has created all things and sustains all things is also walking amidst the garden of his people that's a pretty comforting thought for us even as we look at the chaos around us that that big of a God walks with us on this small of a scale um so Eden is, is, Eden is not just a word that was chosen because it sounded cool, right? Um, in fact, I, uh, randomly a song came on this morning on the way to church, and it was called The Ashes of Eden. And I thought, Le- Lila read it. She's learning to read. And then she said, Dad, ashes of Eden, what does that mean? And so we were to talk through Genesis. Like, we are in the ashes of Eden, but the ashes will be made new again, right? And so, um, And then when we see the life of Adam and Eve, this word shalom is used, um, the best uh, translation of that is peace. What does that mean? Rich, integrated, relational wholeness. If you're taking notes, I really, really like the author's choice of words there. It's this rich, integrated, relational whole, wholeness with God. And, and that's something that even though we, this side of heaven, we have a relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God, if you know the Lord personally, but we don't understand yet. The relational wholeness that Adam and Eve experienced with God in the Garden of Eden—we will one day, but we don't yet. Um, so we've got this idea of Eden, this idea of, of shalom, and then we look around and we hear things, and we realize that this world is really broken, <laughs> or something is at least right. Um, but but no, like it's not hard to look around in in what we experience on a day to day to realize that that our culture and life and world is pretty wounded, right? Sometimes self-inflicted, sometimes external to us, sometimes it, it's closer to us, sometimes it's further away. We've got a friend right now that has, you know, has sickle cell anemia. anemia. He's my age, and he's he's actually outlived um, the age that you would typically see. Um, he's got a little, little young boy, and, like, Amy and I were just, you know, heavy yesterday because he's having one of the worst uh, bouts with it right now. You know, and his wife and, and child see this on a regular basis. I mean, even even to the extent of, like, his medical bills. So he'll, he'll never, ever, 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 ever be able to pay back his medical bills because he's been in and out of the hospital every, you know, two to six months his entire life. Um, it's heavy. It's heavy stuff. Now, he lives in another state. We were much closer to him in another season. But we know this this life is totally broken. It's totally wounded. I mean, just just look at how we interact with each other, even on social media. Like, it's just... And, and so the, the question is, what causes all of this? What, why? Why is it like this? Well, if you're asking that question, Genesis 3 will answer that for you. Now, I will say this, we talked about it last week, just as the creation story does not give you all the details that you might want to know, the exact hows and whys, Genesis 3 doesn't give you all of those details either. But what Genesis 3 does do is it gives you all the information we need to understand why the world around us is the way it is. It gives us all the information to understand why we are like we are. And furthermore, it gives us all the information we need to make a contrast between what things are like now versus the way things will be, right? We see this very stark contrast. Um, And so, honestly, when we read about Eden, as I studied through Genesis 3 this week, um, it really caused me to stop, as the author would say, and ponder what what it must have been like. Like, even even on the best of days, folks, like, I want you to just stop just for a minute and think in the last six months, or maybe uh, two and a half years since COVID has kind of rocked everyone's heads, but in it, the most recent memory that you can think of, that was just like that moment, like, man, that was, that was a wonderful time. Like, I just really enjoyed that. I, I really wish that could be sustained and be where I was all the time. You know, maybe it's that step out of reality from school or COVID or relational challenges, whatever the case is. Like, think about that time. And then let me say this to you even that time is between the beginning and the end of where things were perfect and things will be perfect again. Even that time is marred by sin, it's marred by uh, a world that. Christ is not fully redeemed. It's marred by a creation that's groaning to be redeemed. And so if we think that that best day was incredible, we can't even fathom what things were like in the Garden of Eden, first of all, and then second of all, what things would be like when God redeems us. Like, that's, that's amazing. And the contrast is also true. Can you imagine for those that do not know Christ? We know how bad this world is now in the Spirit of God. Even from creation was hovering, the Spirit of God is here. In the eternal destruction, the spirit of God is totally removed. Like, do you think this is bad? if you think what's going on in Russia and Ukraine right now or what's going on with the COVID crisis and all this stuff, the, the inflation, I mean, if you think you want to cry when you put gas in your gas tank right now, just think about that, the contrast. And so, I, once again, I'm trying to get our minds out of just the fact that they ate a piece of fruit. It's probably, probably an apple, right? Okay, whatever. We want to get our minds just out of that and recognize what's really going on here at a more cosmic or eternal level. Um, so the story continues. What happens? Bryce just read for us so eloquently. Adam and Eve were tempted. We, we, can, all, we can all understand temptation, right? We, we understand what temptation is. We're tempted to do the right thing and the wrong thing a lot of times. But what does this really mean? What does Satan say to them? What does the serpent say? It's not a trick question. It's this. Huh? I like it. That's pretty. Look, quick-witted. What did Satan say? What were his words exactly? got to really tell you this? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What is he saying to them? What is he? What is he? Um, trying to create doubt. Trying to create doubt. Take that a little further, Dan. Create doubt about what? God. Yeah, about God. About God's character. In, in other words, like. Did God really say, does God really want what's best for you? Does God really, really give you all that you need? Does he really give you all that's good? Like, don't you think there's a little bit of a better way? Like, can you imagine if, I mean, you can articulate it in however way your own heart is tempted to tempt you. Well, if you just, it's not that big of a deal. Like, if you just do this, think about how much better it could be. All of these things, and, and you know, that's like, in fact, I used to, when I got into Christian hip hop years and years and years ago, there's a guy named The Truth that came out of the Cross Movement. He's an incredible, incredible rapper. And he says in one of his songs, prior to his song, just like a preface, he says about spiritual or uh, sexual purity. He said, the, the biggest, and I'm summarizing here, the biggest problem with sexual morality is not the consequences. Like, those are pretty big problems, right? I mean, we could walk through those, whether it be infidelity in marriage or, you know, sexually transmitted diseases or, you know, pregnancy out of wedlock. Like, there's a lot of, like, things that happen that create challenges, and there's still good out of those. We obviously understand life is good no matter what circumstance they're in. But he says the biggest problem with sexual morality is not the consequences. The biggest problem with sexual morality is it's a sin against the Holy God. And so if we forget, if we forget, and we think for one minute that the biggest problem with what we do in regards to sin is what, it ha- what happens to us or those around us and not how it affects us or how it affects the Lord, we've totally missed it. We've totally missed it. And so when, when, when Satan says, did God really say, what he is tempting them to do is to doubt the character of a holy God. He is tempting them to doubt that God really has their best interest at heart. In fact, there's, a, there's so much more going on at a deeper level here. I was thinking this even in terms of my children. Like, I'm not a perfect dad by any means. Just ask the woman that just walked in the room.
1: He (laughs) is a great dad.
0: Not supposed to agree that quickly. Ah! No, 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 no. no, no, Just this
2: morning, I was like, "You deal with it." No, but
0: but all jokes aside, I'm not I'm not a perfect dad. That's crazy. In fact, you know, Amy, Amy, I learned a lot about parenting from my wife. But the reason I say that is because I can't even as as a as an earthly father. I can't even imagine withholding something good for my child to be vindictive. I can't imagine that. And and so here we are. We've got this deeper play conversation going on. And Satan's tempting them to believe that God's vindictive. God's character is lacking. God doesn't want what's best for you. God is holding back. You know better than God. What are you talking about? Did he really say these things? And so what's really going on here? is there's a temptation for Adam and Eve, and this is the word that I want you to circle, underline, because this can all build, we can peel all this back down to, to ourselves. There's a temptation for Adam and Eve to be autonomous. They want to be outside the rule of God and under the lordship of themselves. I, I used to have a spiritual mentor that would say, imagine a little throne on your heart, and you are removing God from that throne, and you're placing yourself on it. I remember I told Lainey that that one time. She was like, yeah, that's all in my heart. <laughs> uh, too soon. <laughs> too soon. Sorry. <laughs> wrong, wrong example. Wrong metaphor. Uh, but but in, 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 in regards to how we are behaving, we are literally removing God from his righteous place. And we're putting ourselves there. Uh, I gave you a quote there. It's off page 41. It says, To assert their autonomy, to become a law unto themselves. Autonomy means choosing oneself as the source for determining what is right and wrong, rather than relying on God's word for the direction. So the serpent casts doubt and the sinful desires that already exist in the heart of Adam and Eve, they come to the surface. Amy does a really good job at this with our kids because what is our temptation when we sin? Like we want to point at other people. Well, you know, I can hear all my kids, well, you know, Lila or Hudson did or, you know, and so we don't do that probably about our siblings, but in your mind you might think, well, the professor, you know, or my boss... Or, you know, that person that was driving, right? We're always doing this. We're always pointing fingers, right? And that doesn't mean there's not fault by others in the situation, but that other person did not cause you to make the choice that you made. What's going on is you are choosing to be autonomous, and then what's happening in your own heart, that sinful temptation to be autonomous, is coming to life. It's giving birth, and then you are responding. You're acting out of that. And so he suggests uh, further, the serpent that is, that God is afraid that his human creatures might become his equals once they know good and evil experientially. Why why is that a problem? Well, why why would it be a problem if God was afraid that we might become his equals? What do you think? He wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be God. What do you mean by that? Like nobody above So like even if they keep faith, the is too wide. It's too what? It's preposterous, really. It's it's a, it's a misunderstanding of the Godhead. It's a misunderstanding of divinity. It's a total misunderstanding of how big God is and how, how small we are. In fact, Max said it really well. The gap or the chasm is entirely too wide. So instead of trusting that the Lord knew what was good and best for his people, there was a momentary belief of just the opposite. And I want you to pay attention to that word I just said, momentary. Second word, belief. When we choose to sin, there's a momentary belief that we know what's best. There's a momentary belief that we don't think that what God has said is wrong is a big deal. In fact, one one scholar would say it's it's like uh, what what's the word he uses? Momentary insanity. And if you think about it on a cosmic level, to think for one second that we could bridge that chasm, that we could become equals with God, that God is afraid that His people are going to be greater than Him. It's, it's, a, it's, it's insanity. That's insanity. And Satan knows this, by the way. The serpent knows this, but he seeks to still kill and destroy. He's seeking to put doubt in your mind. And what it does is it provides an opportunity for that, that sin that lives in your heart just to give birth. That's what happens. So um, the idea that God might be vindictive, that he's seeking to withhold good things from his precious creation, which he says is good a million times. In the creation account, right? Good, 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 good. Um, it, it's it's hard to imagine, as I said, me doing this to my kids as an earthly father. How much more is it true of our heavenly father? I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, if you if you believe and trust on Him, then you can't believe that. And if you choose to believe that momentarily, it's a quick it's a quick repentance. And and that's really where we've got to find ourselves. Sometimes it's a moment by moment repentance. Sometimes I'm so angry at work. <clears throat> And I'm like, Lord, please help me. And then like 10 seconds go by and I'm still angry. And I'm like, Lord, please forgive me. Like, please help me. And then 10 seconds later go by. And it's like, I feel like for the next 40 minutes as I'm like working, I'm just repenting the entire time. Like, please help me. Please help me. Forgive me. Please help me. Forgive me. Please help me. But honestly, that's how our walk with the Lord should be. Maybe not every second. Because some days are better than others, right? But if we don't quickly repent, calling out to the Lord what we've done and asking him to forgive us, those little foxes as the scriptures call them, take root, and they grow into much larger foxes. And all of a sudden, they're taking your chickens' eggs, and then all of a sudden, they're killing your chickens, and it's just tragedy. And there's feathers everywhere, and everybody's freaking out, and the kids are running around, and you're just, it's, you're, it's bad, okay? So just just repent. When they're little baby foxes, just repent, okay? Ask God for help, right? We had chickens uh, where we moved from, and it was um, a pretty tragic day when our neighbor's dog got a hold of one of those. Um, we had a little funeral for him and everything. So, um, look, uh, let, let's move into Genesis 2 a little bit, and then 3. Um, we're going to see here the fall demonstrates the consequences of sin. Um, let's do this. Who's got their Bible open? Nikki, would you read Genesis 2, 17, mm-hmm. and then 3, 13 through 19? Okay. Genesis 2, But I've just read the knowledge
3: of the name from that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then 3, 13, Correct. Okay. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel to the woman he said i will surely multiply your pain in childbearing in pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you and to adam he said because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which i commanded you you shall not eat of it. cursed is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return.
0: So thanks, that was a lot to read. Thanks, Thank you for doing that. Um, so there's a lot going on here, but the ultimate consequence of sin is what? Death. But here's what we have to do. we got to kind of think through this a little bit. Um, in fact, Genesis 3 in the fall helps us kind of shape what death really means. Because strangely, at first, kind of seems like the serpent's right, doesn't it? What do you think? Does it seem like the serpent's a little bit correct? And if so, why? It an death. That's exactly right. It wasn't the fairy tale that we all know, right? The poison apple was eaten, and they went to sleep. That didn't happen, right? Immediately they did not die, they didn't follow their death. So what the author does a good job at saying they did not die immediately. But did they? Is kind of the open-ended question. Um, There's a quote there. The physical life of Adam and Eve does not stop in the instant they taste the fruit. But something in them and between them does die. So I think it's really important for us. I'm going to read just uh, a handful of sentences here. And I want us to flesh this out in discussion. So be ready to kind of respond um, in any way that you're comfortable. One of the things this story should do is make us reflect long and hard on just what death means. The physical life of Adam and Eve does not stop in the instant they taste the fruit. This isn't the poison apple of the fairy tale. But something in them and between them does die. Their sense of themselves and their relationship with each other is shattered. They become morbidly self-conscious and thus try hurriedly to cover up their nakedness. For the first time they feel shame. And what is even far worse, their relationship with the Lord God is also broken. They hide from Him in fear and shame. God confronts Adam and Eve and declares judgment. The serpent is cursed, childbirth for the woman is made much harder, and the ground itself is stricken so that work is made difficult for the man and far less pleasant. Adam and Eve are driven out of Eden and the entrance to the garden is barred. The story is so rich in meaning that it gives us a great deal to think about. The fall into sin remains a mystery, but the story of Genesis 3 illumines the fundamental nature of sin. It is a quest for autonomy, a desire to separate ourselves from God. What do you guys think about that? What sticks out? What do you think? Michael knows the I'll sit in silence as long as I need to. I mean, I think that shame, that
1: hurts our relationship with God. I mean, John 17 says this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who you sin mm-hmm. So if shame is what's
0: driving us away from God, then that that must be eternal death mm-hmm. on the opposite. Amen. That's awesome, dude. Way to tie in some John. I like it. Absolutely. What else?
1: Michael's <laughs> 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 like gonna put <laughs> in You <this. laughs> read it again? That's A lot of words. <laughs> a
2: lot of
0: words. lot of words. Do you want me to read it again? Yeah. yeah read it like I-
2: i was mostly trying
0: to figure out what question you were going
2: to ask so i could you know, <laughs> <laughs> i won't read i won't read all of it because it's
0: long here's a couple things the physical life of adam and Eve doesn't die but here's what happens something in them does die their sense of themselves and their relationship with each other is shattered they become morbidly self-conscious and thus try hurriedly to cover up their nakedness for the first time they feel shame And what is even far worse is their relationship with the Lord God is also broken. They hide from him in fear and shame. God confronts Adam and Eve and declares judgment. The serpent is cursed. Childbirth for the woman is made much harder. And the ground itself is stricken, so that work is made difficult. Adam and Eve are driven out of Eden, and the entrance to the garden is barred. He walks through a little bit more, but I'll say this last piece. It is a quest for autonomy, for autonomy. A Desire to separate ourselves from God. Anything stick out? I
2: think the priority you said when you're talking about they become aware of themselves and more at least self conscious or whatever you said, and then they feel shame for the first time. It's like they were protected. They couldn't even see themselves. They were like totally unaware of themselves, of what they lacked or. What they should have been at, so they weren't trying to obtain it, and they could just worship freely because they weren't distracted by that. And I feel like that's the battle that like we're in, and we're constantly trying to shake it off, and like we can't on our own. Yep. And it's like this weird cycle. Like we try harder to do it ourselves because we're so aware, but yet we can't, and we're like, can I just for one minute just look at the Lord and like just focus on Him? Mm-hmm. And then something else comes in, and you're doubting the gospel, or you're frightfully aware of your sin, and that's higher than His glory. You know, right. whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. So. It's good work. Yeah, it's a huge detractor and distractor.
2: I just can't imagine like not being aware of myself. Like, what a gift! Yeah. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you're like, like you're aware. That's horrible. Like,
0: yeah. yeah, it's a it's a pretty stark change from one moment to the next for right? I Adam. Mean, to never experience shame. I, I can't pinpoint, I mean, kids are born, we believe, with sin as well. Like you don't have to teach kids kid to sin. But I watch it happen even more so on a smaller scale with our kids because your kids get, eventually get to that point where you see them becoming more aware of other children. And how other children are behaving, what they're wearing, what they're better at than them, you know. But there's still like this childlike piece of it. Like Lanny had basketball tryouts last weekend. I was like nervous for her. Like it was intense um, and when we got in the car, I was like, did you have fun? Like, how are you doing? She's like, yeah, what are you talking about? It was fun. I was like,
1: "Oh,
0: huh? Okay. Like, you know, so like, you know, I was prepared for this big conversation, but like I, I know for a fact that in a moment, in the moment, she was probably feeling a little heat pressure because she's becoming more aware, but she still doesn't like we would, you know what I mean? And it just gets, and it gets increasingly worse as we get older. Um, and so not to, not to have that prior to God, you know, Casting judgment because of their sin is just—it's—I mean, you know. Any other thoughts?
1: Yeah, going off that, I think it leads to a out pressure that never existed before, right? And so I think that leads into this idea of works-based salvation that gets played out even to today, right? In which before then, you didn't have to worry about what you did because you were righteous and perfectly made, and now the awareness of that chasm, right, kind of forces you to kind of, like, in the midst of guilt and shame, want to claw back to that status again, Yeah. And so um, because you you are now barred, right, that's the consequence of sin, is that you are now barred from perfection and righteousness and goodness because you chose to rebel and I think it's, I mean, it's the, that idea even permeates today, so it's pretty, pretty crazy to, to think like, hey, like as much as we say, like, workspace things, it doesn't exist, right? Like, that. sometimes the mentality of, like, I did something wrong, I have to do something to counter that, mm-hmm. um, even though now, after the fall, we are called to, in the grand scheme of God's design to now work. And so, like, that, that is a picture of his grace to be able to give us something to do and, and to kind of cover that kind of chasm in a sense, but like, the quality of that doesn't necessarily mean we get salvation or we don't. It's still by His grace that He gives us a way
0: back. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, we're going to talk about how this whole situation is the backdrop for God's redemptive plan, and we'll kind of tease through that. But you're exactly right. I mean, there's this pressure that we see culturally because it's not, it's not just... In the church and in relationship with God, it's also in the relationship with others, which is holistic. So it's the social construct of life that's totally twisted. Um, you know what's expected of you, what you expect of yourself, um, what is innate—the innate response when you do something wrong. You know, like we want to run away and we want to try to fix it on our own. We want to hide, which we see that immediately from the first man and woman that God ever created.
2: Really
0: little. You yep. don't have to tell them to do that. They immediately cover up their wrong, even at like eighteen months. Yeah. 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 Hudson will take a like a little bar, like I a little like chocolate granola like bar, and, and like I'll, I'll come in the room and immediately like this. And no
2: one told. And him. I'm like,
0: yeah. I, I I can still see it, dude. Like I can still see <laughs> it. You know what I mean? But he knows. I didn't teach him, and he didn't teach him like she said. That's that's just innate. It's like you we, don't
2: bring the groceries in and say. Okay, do not take this. Like, you don't say it. You just put the groceries well, right. And, like, they know that they're supposed to ask because yeah. we are the ones caring for them.
0: Yeah. And yeah. Well, we also don't. don't say, if you do make a bad choice, hide it from us. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they just do it, right? Because right. that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> that's just what we do. So, so I like this contrast the author brings out. Genesis 2 shows humankind in our created and unfallen relationships, Genesis 3 fro- focuses on the breakdown. Of those relationships. So you've got Genesis 2, unfallen relationships in the created order. Genesis 3 is the breakdown of those. And this is following what he would say the mutiny, the human mutiny against the divine king. So we've got this mutiny going on, but then he brings it back to how and why were we created. We were human. We humans were created for relationship. We were created for an intimate relationship with our creator and with one another. And sin's effect is what? To do what? Drive us apart sin's effect is to drive us apart from our relationship with God but also further to drive us apart from one another and that's what through the redemptive story of the gospel the spirit of God gives us the power to counteract right so we'll talk through that in just a minute Um, the uh, I'll just read it to you above all humankind is made to enjoy a relationship with God but the sin of Adam and Eve causes them to flee from him and be afraid ashamed and alone Adam blames Eve sounds about right Eve blames the serpent. Sounds about right. And Adam and Eve both seek to what? Cover their own nakedness. Cover their own sin. Fix it themselves. Try to pretend like it didn't happen. Oops, my bad. All these actions show that sin, this is interesting, has undermined both the sense of self and the sense of belonging to one another. So when we choose to sin, we are undermining our sense of ourselves And how we're made in god's image and how we're we're hurting god's image in ourselves but it also undermines our sense of belonging to one another when i sin it affects you some in greater ways than others when you sin it affects me it affects the church it affects god's image in the world it affects your ability to minister it affects your prayer life it affects your your disciplines it it ultimately affects a lot of things that if you're willing to sit back just for a minute and let the onion be peeled back, it affects a lot more than you think. And so we have this diminished view because of sin of ourselves and how we relate to one another. Social and work dimensions of our lives are completely twisted. We've kind of already talked through that. And although Adam and Eve don't die right away, death means much more than just physical death. There's relational death, social strata death, eternal death. We, we will physically die, some of us sooner than others, and some of us from diseases that are in, are in lieu because of the fall, right? We understand that, right? But at the end of the day, it doesn't just mean at the very surface level death. Death means the distortion of relationships in general, and particularly the end of that one vital relationship with God. It is a quest for autonomy, a desire to separate ourselves from God. So here's a challenge to you, because then we're going to work through the last piece um, and we're doing okay on time. I want you to do something this week, and I'm not going to ask you if you did it next week, so it's on your honor before God, uh, but I am gonna, I'm going to I'm going to pull that Jesus juke on your honor before God. Um, examine, what I want you is I want you to examine carefully any sinful choice you make or have made recently. Just take one. It shouldn't take you more than a few minutes. And I want you to kind of examine this dynamic at play. I want you to try to, in a really good way for those of you that have children, and for those of you that don't, you can also do it, but... Like when you have to walk your child through that. Um, I kind of mentioned that earlier, like having to walk my child through unrighteous anger, which is what the scripture calls it. And then we you know, respond out of self-control or out of non-self-control and we sin. Um, I want you to walk yourself through that at least one time in the next seven days. Like just think, how does this play all the way, like boil it all the way down. What is the root (laughs) sin that has caused all that I've done and put that in light of, seeking to separate ourselves and be autonomous from god i just want you to do that a couple things that i threw out on mine argument with a close relational person or a spouse like what's the root cause of that where in that situation did you choose to be autonomous and do what you wanted to do what you thought was best versus doing what was best for the lord and then also caring for his image which is your spouse We walked through this with our children this weekend. I keep saying that, but it's like everything I prepared for, we walked through this weekend. It's crazy. Uh, Procrastinating with a deadline that might be looming, whatever that may be. How have you chosen to be autonomous and separate yourself from God in that? A choice to view something you shouldn't. Maybe it was some numbers at work. Maybe it was something sexually immoral. Whatever the case may be, it doesn't, don't, don't. I just want you to think through some common things that are in your life that you might just do and you know kind of shouldn't have done that forgive me lord that's great but i want you to think through how you have chosen to do those things and how it plays into being autonomous from god just think through those things i think it'll be a good exercise it was good for me Um, we're constantly seeking to be autonomous and be the lord of our own lives that's the bottom line remember i said earlier raising our minds to a more eternal and cosmic level it's it's more than just eating a piece of fruit a lot more is going on here um so, uh, I mentioned the fall is the backdrop for God's promises. Uh, Victor, would you read Genesis three fifteen and verse 20?
1: I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and he shall bruise his heel. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living.
0: Yeah, 20. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it, in other words with the beginning of what's going on here is the story supposed to end so soon like it seems like we're kind of barreling down a pretty tragic tragic ending pretty quickly um, the author of this story could probably have just ended it at a bad story I was watching something recently and you know it said something like all stories end good and there's not a bad ending so I'm not sure why somebody won a bad ending but you know whatever huh that's real life, that's real life. yeah so, well, praise God, it's not God's economy, but you're exactly right. Oftentimes, this side of heaven, the ending is, is a really bad ending. We understand that. Um, so, of course, the story doesn't end. There's a whole uh, book called the Bible that lays out what's happening. And then as uh, one of my favorite Christian hip-hop artists, Charlene says, we're all a part of this greater story, right? Our life is not the scriptures, um, but we are a part of God's redemptive plan, okay? And so our life is an extension of the church, and we are watching God carry out his redemption plan, not just in the church outside of us, but in our, in our own lives as well. In our relationships, in our personal interactions, in our children's lives, in our families. We're watching and seeking to be faithful and trust that God is working that out. And so um, those key texts that I had him read, in short, we see that Eve is the mother of all things. There's this continuation. We're going to see the story continue. It's not going to end. Even in the tragic tale of sin's entrance, God graciously takes initiative to seek them out. What did I just say? I want somebody to tell me in, in a couple words what I just said because I think it's super important. God is the first mover in reconciliation. It's exactly right. He's not just the first mover in creation. He's not just the first mover in all things. He's the first mover in seeking His creation out in redemption. He is the great initiator. God then declares judgment on them. So what I'm not saying to you in redemption that there's not some level of consequence, but ultimately God initiates redemption. This is the first biblical promise of the gospel. If anyone ever asks you what Genesis has to do with the gospel, take them right to Genesis 3. This is the first biblical promise of the gospel. Christ is to be the seed of the woman, if you're trying to make the connection. And that seed, Christ, will defeat Satan, will put him in his right place. Though at a great cost to himself, might I add, he didn't just initiate first, but he gave everything. So at a great cost to himself, in the wounding of his heel. That's what Genesis 3.15 means. Christ is the seed of the woman. He will defeat Satan at a great cost to himself and the wounding of his heel. There's the gospel, Genesis 3.15. All the way to the New Testament. So here's, here's what this really means. <clears throat> it, in, in short, their inheritance, it's secure. And it's not based on anything, just like Victor was saying a minute ago. It's not based on anything that we do, anything we don't do. It's totally based on what God has initiated and has accomplished and did accomplish, and will accomplish. This past, present, and future, one day it will be fully accomplished when Christ returns to grab his people for himself. So their inheritance is fully secure, and it was never based on their work or their self-worthiness. It was always based on the work of God. From Adam all the way to Zach, it was always based on God, his work, his worthiness, his grace, his redemption, and nothing to do with any of us when it comes to the initiation of grace and redemption. Genesis 3.20, God provides for Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve's shame. He provides clothing them with the skins of animals. In the Old Testament, to remove someone's clothes could signify their disinheritance. God's provision of clothes for Adam and Eve is a sign to them that He has not given up on their purpose. They are still to bear His image in this world. Folks, I don't want you to miss this piece because I don't know what all you've done in your life. And I don't really care. And I don't mean that. Like, I care about you. When you share your story with me, I want to hear it. That's great. But what I mean when I say that is, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what, what has been done to you. I don't know what you've done to others. I don't know what will happen to you in the future. But here's what I do know, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, and then beyond. Even though there is great sin, God has not given up on His purpose for humanity.
1: I was going to say... Um... Verse 20 that you just said, Victor read. Uh, Eve is still so called the mother of all living, which is kind of interesting because they've just been told, like, you know, you will die. You will die. Uh, so they still have that inheritance, not defined by their death, but they're defined mm-hmm. by being
0: uh, God's creation
1: and, and living.
0: It's exactly right. Like, you would think the story is about to end, but this, when she's called the mother of all living, it's after this, the catastrophe of sin has happened, right? After we thought they were going to die. What you got, Jamie? Um...
2: <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to reconcile how this is, how the consequences here don't mean that children are punished for the sins of their parents. Sure. And um, other areas in the Bible that talk about people that you will die for your own sin mm-hmm. and that children are not to be punished for the sins of their parents. Like I am I guess I'm having difficulty reconciling that with this. Yeah. Like, how is it not that?
0: Yeah, so I think honestly that's a much larger discussion, but I think there's two there's two dynamics at play here. Unfortunately, because of sin that is entered the world, many times children will be punished because of the sin of their parents. Um, not 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 by God. Um, he you know sin is into the world, but if, if I choose to make a really poor choice with my child in the back seat, you know. But ultimately, when the, when the Ten Commandments say that
2: the sin will be justified third and the fourth generation yeah. because if you think back like those are the generations that you actually know That's yeah. like it's about as big as a gap as you can get to, like a great grandparent yep yeah. and so you can be affected by their choices because it indirectly taught you yeah. so like you're either passing the gospel onto the next generation or you're passing your autonomous ways of living yeah. On to them yeah. not like why is this boy sick because his parents sinned not that direct like from the new testament
0: that's right. what i thought of when yeah know. yeah so so i would then make a distinction between the effects of sin on children and god's punishment because i think those are two that's an important distinction to make god does not punish children for their parents sin but there is some direct and or indirect effects based on decisions that parents can make mm-hmm. um, The, the yeah. distinction is that sin has entered the world through adam and Eve. We sin because we're sinners. That's that's the, the, the essence of original sin. That we're sinners in our nature. So we, we sin, but God holds us responsible for our sins. Um, and so we will sin because we're sinners. But God's judgment is, He holds us responsible because of the sinful acts and unbelief that we, you know, we persist in. And, and yeah. Yeah, but it's, I mean, there's a whole lot at play. The reason it's a larger discussion because it gets into like the whole concept of age of accountability. Because as Michael just said, one thing you said I think that's important is because we have inherent sin, we will sin. So every child will sin. However, there's this whole conversation about at what point are they held responsible to that sin. um, And everybody has their own. You know we can we can talk more about that but that's a really i mean it's a, it's a challenging conversation because when you think about it i mean even to something as practical as the war in ukraine right now like think about the bomb of the, the hospital you know where all these family and children were like you know i know that's not god punishing sin but there is effects happening physically because of the sin of others you know what i mean so it's i think the the, the distinction that michael calls out in addition to effects versus God's punishment are, are pretty important concepts. So we can talk more at length, but great question. Um, so, yeah, I think what what Mason said is really important. The story's not over. A um, couple more minutes and we'll finish up. Although the future was uncertain as they leave the safety of what? Where, where are they sent out of? Garden. The garden. The garden was pretty safe. Like, I mean, I'm telling you, Lenny woke up this morning and we were eating breakfast and she said, Daddy, you had the worst dream last night. So what? What? sweetie, what'd you have? She was like, I dreamed that people just showed up to our house and forced us to leave, and they were just all these weird people were just packing our stuff up. We had nowhere else to go. And I was like, Wow, that is pretty terrible. Like, I don't know why you're dreaming that. I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> but but I mean, think about it. Uh, to a childlike faith, which in a lot of capacities, Adam and Eve were a childlike faith prior to this moment happening of their sin. Now they're being forced out of the only safety net that they've ever known. Right? And the future seems, at first glance, pretty uncertain. Right, uh, God's purposes, however, have not been thwarted. God will go forth and provide for his people. We saw him do it even by covering them. One thing that you may not have recognized is in order for him to cover them with an animal skin, what had to happen? Death. Death. He had to kill an animal. Bloodshed. The blood of an animal had to be covered. I'd be willing to bet that it was probably a clean animal, That would be described in Leviticus at some point. But God killed an animal, took the skin of the animal, and covered them even in their sin. He initiated that, and so God's purpose has not been thwarted. Uh, I gave you a quote there from page forty three: "Disobedience has brought catastrophe. The wonderful garden lies closed behind them, and as uncertain and dangerous world looms ahead, how often, how awful it had been to face the Lord God when He had at last found them. How hard to look Him in the face." And yet he was given the clo- he is given the clothes to wear, and there is also that mysterious promise to consider in which he has spoken of Eve's offspring who will crush the serpent's head. I said it once, and I'll say it again. It's the beginning of the gospel. So here's the deal: even amidst an incredible catastrophe, the Lord's gospel work has begun. And I realize, look, I'm going to say it. There's there's a risk here of oversimplification but the remainder of the story throughout the scriptures and throughout the scriptures and in our lives is years and years and years of cyclical catastrophes led by our desire to be autonomous like that's pretty much our life years and years of cyclical catastrophes led by our desire to be autonomous yet in those cyclical catastrophes we are continually met by god's grace We are continually met by God's promises for all those who are in Christ Jesus until the day that he finally returns to bring us back into relational wholeness. He himself will come back and take us to a place of shalom. I gave you some other notes there. Um, He talks about this a little bit. Uh, We need to take seriously the account of Genesis 3, even while we recognize the details, including a talking serpent and symbolic trees are unlike those of historical context, in our view, the third chapter of Genesis does tell reliably about the mysterious origins of evil in God's world. So we believe that it's true. Any last thoughts, and then we'll pray and get out of here.